Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast. Established 2019. Direct from the North Wales coast. His verbal skills definitely outweigh his wrestling ability. It's time for British Wrestling's sharpshooter, your host, Stu Palmer. We have hit the quarter century. It's episode 25. I said these would come thick and fast. We've been really, really pushing these out. It's 11 episodes since January. Striking while I am hot. And this week's guest is none other than the babyface pitbull, Sam Smitten Downs. And Sam's had a great career. And he's done all sorts of stuff within the business. And I can't wait for you to hear this one. It's a really, really good episode. So let's strike while the iron's hot. Episode 25, the babyface pitbull, Sam Smitten Downs. Enjoy, enjoy. Hello and a warm welcome to Sam Smitten Downs, a.k.a. the babyface pitbull. How are you doing today, mate? I'm good. How are you, Stu? All good. Glad to get you on. Yeah, no problem at all. Sat, sat here in quarantine and uh, on lockdown, I'm... Uh, I'm- <laughs> More than happy was have something to do, to be honest. So absolutely. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. I'm glad you're happy to do it today, mate. Means means a lot getting you on. Obviously, the situation we're in, it's made it easier for me to get people on. But thank you, thank you for sparing the time coming on. No problem. Right, my first question is: When were you first subjected to pro wrestling? Well, I, I, I don't know about subjected. I think um, I think I subjected my. Uh, Good mother, sister, and uh, and and, uh, and father to to wrestling, but I think like um, most people of my uh, generation per se would have been the late eighties, possibly nineteen ninety, um, and uh, my cousin brought around recorded tapes um, from their neighbour from Sky, um, and yeah, it would have been uh, yeah the, the WWF as it was back then. Which talents were jumping out the screen at you at that time? Well, um, I think the ones I remember back then were uh, Macho Man, uh, Mr. Perfect, uh, The Ultimate Warrior, um, Ogan, obviously. Um, 
Legion of Doom, Road Warriors, and um, and who else? But oh, the British Bulldog, obviously. Yeah. So the, that was uh, that was the era. Um, I, uh, as a child, saw it and thought, "Wow, you know, like uh, what? You know, what's this? Is this great?" <laughs> it's my my favourite time, personally. But I hear obviously. Yeah. Diff- yeah. Well, you know what? I've um, as as we are on a lockdown, I've been. Um, Going through and watching, I just started to watch last night again actually because I've not seen, sat down and watched it for ages. Uh, about uh, WrestleMania six, every pay per view in order after that, and, um, and yeah, there was th- it was it was a great era. The, the, the characters back then were, you can tell now obviously it's a different, it is a different business. You have to accept that things move on, but the characters and the charisma, and they really they, they really all nearly all were very much different characters you could see that beaming through and it's great and it's great to watch yeah, you trip, trip down memory lane but also this, this you know the performers they were world class world class so yeah I think that that and the attitude here I think are my two personal favourite of uh, you know, timings like eras and styles which which events did you look forward to on the WWE calendar did you have, did you have a, a specific favourite out of the big four at the time no, I don't think so. No, I mean obviously Mania was the one, wasn't it? WrestleMania and then and then the Rumble, I guess. But um, <clears throat> Summer Slam and Survivor. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I suppose you look out for those two. There's the ones you always look out for. But when there's only four, as there was back then, you look forward to them all. And you had your, your wrestling challenge and superstars that would, would build them up. So yeah, so everyone everyone likes WrestleMania and the Rumble. Obviously, everyone everyone loves the Rumble. Just to fast forward a bit now, Sam. When did you begin training in wrestling? When did that come to be? Um, I began I began wrestling training in two thousand and six. I'd already been grappling and doing MMA before then. And my um, one of my closest friends, um, Baz Barry McCarran, he had a friend of a friend who um, heard about the RWA called Wrestling Academy, which had just started sort of back end of two thousand five, and. Um, I suppose we've both been wrestling fans for, you know, as described really, very young age. Um, not really any idea where you could go and train. I, I lived in, in in London briefly after um, after university in 2003 and, and nearly went down to the FWA. I think it was close there, but never happened. But been training, speak grappling already. So he found this place. He went along to watch their first show, which is in January. 2006, maybe February actually, February, first night memories, both fancy the chances, um, he went along before me, I was living in Leicester at the time, hometown, and then went along in, yeah, June 2006, that was my first session, um, years ago. How long were you training before your first match occurred? That was going to be my next question. Uh, yeah, about, it, was, it wasn't long, you know, it was about six weeks, I think I, as, as you'll, um, a lot of wrestlers get their first match um, kind of by accident. You know, you're there or sort of on standby and then someone gets injured, can't do it, pulls out. So I was, um, obviously I came in with some with some grappling experience. So the, the physical side wasn't um, wasn't alien to me. Well, obviously very, very different in many ways, but in many ways, you know, it's, uh, there's, there's tangibles and, and, and you can bring your skills over. So... I was there on just a normal day, not expecting to be on the show, um, training before the show, and then one of the lads couldn't make it, so I ended up um, ended up getting put in. 
um, so it wasn't long. It was about six, six, six weeks, about six, six training sessions on four hours. I've, so not a lot at all. I've heard, I've heard a range of answers, obviously, when I've had other people on. Some, some went in very early, and then some it was like two, three years until they, you know, had, had their first match. So it does seems to me like there's, yeah. a, there's quite a big range from person to person, you know. There, there can be, yeah. I think it depends, you know, on um, it depends on lots of different things. Certain, you know, whether it was a long time ago or, or, or more closer to to the contemporary methods now. It depends on the training school. It depends who people are up against and competing with the spots. So it depends on lots of different things. I think at the time, the IWA was always in its first year in infancy. And a lot of the, the guys there training were... Cause I, I mean, really, I started, I started quite late, even though 2006 seems like the ages ago. Um, I was 25. I mean, I'm, 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 nearly, I'm 38. I'm nearly 39 now. So I was 25. Uh, I'd been lifting for for, for years, um, and with having, I suppose, a legitimate background, I stood out against people that were a lot younger. They were maybe 17, 16, and obviously hadn't as much, didn't quite look necessarily like young men yet. So I suppose I, within the, the context of what it was, um, I stood out as being looking like a man. Um, and had that credibility and with the background as well. So that was probably one of the reasons why I was forced in relatively early. Um, then again, you've got places and other methods, uh, training schools, etc., where they have um, policies of giving people, a, you know, maybe a curriculum for a year or two. They may be up against um, talent and, ex- and people who are way more experienced. So therefore, they have to wait to get on that show, whatever it might be, I say when it was me, everyone really there had, you know, six months experience, and the age rate, the average age was quite low, and I was above that. Um, so it depends on the individual um, situation, and you've got to judge that on individual merits. I don't think there's a right or wrong. It's got to be judged on its individual merits. Was there anybody in the training there school? I was, I was that. I was that for a politician's answer. That was that was good. That was good. That no fair fair play. Nice nice bit of depth to your answer there, Sam. No, it's true. I'm joking. I'm joking, but it's true. You, you can't say there's a right or wrong. You have to do it. Yeah. On its individual merits. Yeah. So we carry on, Steve. Was there anybody noteworthy you were training with at the time? Who's maybe still in the business or was in the business? Um, well, I, I, the trainer Andy Baker. I suppose he's. Um, he was he was well known certainly within certain circles. Um, as a trainer, he, he he'd been on Raw. I think he uh, he's, he's a corn lad, but he was on the Raw was uh, saying he's from Birmingham and he got uh, master locked by Chris Masters, um, and he came through OVW. So he was someone who I mean I hadn't heard of him, but obviously I knew of OVW, etc. And that and that was one of the reasons why when my mate I says right you know, from this school, who's the train? He said, well, this guy called Andy Baker, he's trained OVW by, I mean, really almost like a who's who. I mean, we talk about watching the old pay-per-views from the late 80s and there's a bunch of guys there that Andy was trained by. So he obviously he had credibility because, you know, the methods that he was teaching you had been passed on by some of the most experienced and successful people in the business. So, yeah, you trusted that. Um, I suppose in, in terms of training with at the time, um, 
Well, the, the obvious one in terms of notoriety coming from is, is well, Zach Gibson, Jack Ray. We pretty much started the same training session together, I think within a week of each other. Um, he's a lot younger than me. I think he's, he's nine years, maybe eight years younger than me, though, Jack. So, but that's that's the most noticeable one at the time. But people to come through from there, um, good old Des Robinson, referee. Um, he came through. I'm going to miss someone here, but there's uh, one of this. Uh, no, people of uh, notable on the northwest scene definitely came through. Dan Evans came in a year or two after me. Trying to think of others, really. I mean, even later on, I suppose you've got the Matt Foxes, Sparks Williams that are still going now. Um, but yeah, there's, uh, there's others as well, though. But the obvious one in terms of notoriety is obviously, you know, he's Gibson or Zach Diamond, as he was called then. Where, where else um, did you train or have trained to where you've expanded your knowledge and your, your style, maybe? Um, well, I think probably the obvious one. I, I did. Um, in 2011, I went over to um, I went over to the Taz Dojo. It was short-lived but, but brilliant. Um, it was um, yeah, the the, the Taz Dojo, as it was called, I got the t- one of the t-shirts upstairs and the old pictures on knocking around from back then. So that was um, it was described basically as if you like a finishers camp where he would take people that were. I suppose had some experience, but looking to take things to the next level. I had to send off a video, a video of a match, um, and he selected people based on that, and flew out to New York for a week, and that was um, seven hours a day for six days, um, and that was brilliant. Um, again, t- getting that extra that extra level of, of and layer of knowledge, experience, feedback, critique, you know, fresh pair of eyes. And from someone like Taz as well, who stylistically, there's, you know, my, my style's very similar to his. I'm not quite as, it's got that, that, that posture of Taz. But in many ways, it's similar stylistically. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's the main one. Uh, and, and over the years, I've done some of the, um, the whatchamacallits, the, the training sessions from guys that have come in. I've, I've been to see Marty as well, Marty Jones, and not for a while, to be fair, but. Um, training sessions with him, Johnny Saint seminar, John John Kenny as well, Gypsy John Kenny, but a coach from him. But uh, but yeah, the the main ones is the, the extra as far as uh, pro wrestling though certainly um, was the Taz Camp, um, Taz Dojo, and that that was a you know a unique experience to say the least. Now you've worked you've worked with BWP for for quite some time. When did your relationship with BWP start? Yeah, no. Um, the um, I, I well, Sack, Steve Saxon started the, the company with his with his old business partner um, two thousand and nine, and one of the main places he would um, go to find new talent when they started was the RWA. Right. Um, he had some local talent in North Wales, but obviously wanted to supplement that, starting the starting the promotion out. So like loads of the guys now, I just got booked to pay normal, really. And then I suppose as things moved on, I had a good relationship with, relationship with Sachs. We, you know, I had to in sort of similar places. I, I had always had an interest in getting involved in the promotion side or the running, the running of a wrestling promotion without necessarily, you know, calling myself a promoter. But the organisation, and again, it's like, I got into the business quite late in reality, 2006, age 25. And by, I suppose, 
why he was getting past 2010, the business being back then a lot different to it is now with nowhere near the options. Um, you know, I, I started to think, you know, unless you were going to get signed by WWE, um, and this is the days when they might, they might sign one, not now when they've got a full NXT UK roster. And my mind kind of, I suppose, went to get involved in other areas. And I knew Saks wanted someone else involved. The workload involved in running it, um, if you're going to do a good job, is difficult for one person. But he wanted the right partner. I think he'd had some bad experiences with you know, an average business partner. Um, someone that got involved early, but it came too much. Some very bad experiences with different people. So he needed someone that he could trust. And, and obviously, if I was going to get involved, I wanted someone I could trust. And clearly, you know, we had a lot of trust there working together. Yeah, so 2014, the back end of it, I we agreed on how it would work and how I would get involved. Um, and so as of then, yeah, so since basically the back end of 2014, it's been... Uh, it's been me and Steve jointly, or Sax as he's known, whatever, um, jointly running the company, but obviously Sax is very much the face, the public face of the company. Um, and as far as, you know, angles go, um, my ownership has nothing to do with any angle. That is uh, as best possible kept a secret. If, if there is such thing as a secret in wrestling anymore. <laughs> not, not these, not these days. <laughs> no, internet ruined secrets, but there we go. We adapt, we evolve. Just thinking back to, like, obviously pre-internet, when you just watched what you watched and that was it, wasn't it? Well, you know what? I think, you know, it's um, it's one of those, I think, you kind of think, oh, could we go back to those days? And in many ways, yeah, it would be great. You, you can't stop change. It's one of those. I mean, it was great back then. And obviously, you know, it still makes me laugh every time I see that clip with um, Dr. David Schultz. And what's his name? David Schloss. When he asks him about his wrestling, wrestling fake, gives him the, the almighty bouncer bear slap. Of um, and he takes a tumble, and, and so I watched that, and it still makes me laugh. And I think, you know what? Wouldn't it be great if wrestling was, was back how it was? But but it's not. It's not. You know, we have the internet and social media, and really, this you know, secrets are practically impossible to keep now. I still think we need to have that respect of professional wrestlers as, as athletes and performers. Um, but at the same time, you can't treat people like idiots because people know you know what it's about um, these days. So you have to have that balance between not respecting people and not disrespecting the business, but also not treating fans and um, like complete morons as well. And fans are very different. A five-year-old kid watching wrestling isn't the same as a 25-year-old, 30-year-old, maybe 40-year-old wrestling fan that spends their whole life thinking about wrestling, reading everything. So you treat the different fans, you know, you treat them differently, and again, but with equal respect. I get you. Just going back to David Schultz, that's another episode on Dark Side of the Ring, isn't it, that they're doing? Oh, is it? Oh, is it? I don't know. Yeah, I've seen just... one with, um, with him in, but yeah, no, I'll, um, I'll, that'll be interesting. I, watch that. That'll be that'll be like obviously it'll be a big focal point when he was slapping the reporters. So <laughs> I know we've seen it. Yeah, I know we've seen uh, it. I know we've seen it a lot of times. Like, but be good to get his story as well. Yeah, I think he's told the story a couple of times. He's a very interesting character, David Schultz. I think um, 
Bret Hart talks about him um, in his book because Hart had a feud with him in Smoky Mountain. I'm sure it's Smoky Mountain. Um, and, um, and Bret Hart says a lot of great things about him because he was a very classical old school heel. And I think there's a couple of clips as well where I think he's calling Hulk Hogan a woman. And me and me, Gene Oakland literally can't contain his laughter when he's doing this promo. So he certainly, and again, this is the thing, see, back then it was different. You had all these crazy characters um, and loose cannons. Um, and by all accounts now, I might be wrong, but I think the culture within the, the WWF and the, the mid-80s and even into the early 90s is a million miles away. Um, from, you know, they're a large corporate now. They're a corporate, they're a PLC, you know, you can't get around that fact. The type of person that a large PLC wants now is very different. To the like to the type of person that a privately owned business in the mid eighties was, but yeah, he's you know a big big character and someone who's um, who's yeah very interesting and a, and a real good listen. So if it's interviews from grassroots wrestling right up to the biggest superstars in the business, then you're in the right place. Stew's Wrestling Podcast from the North Wales coast, delivering you the biggest and best in the world of professional wrestling. How how did your partnership with Dave Faulkner begin? How did that come to be? Just to go totally no, off topic. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no, it's a good question. Um, when I was... When I was tra- I, I think really, as I said, it was earlier. I was, um, I started pro wrestling training in the first part two thousand six. But really, up until from up until two thousand ten, I think my my grappling and my MMA, or back then people didn't know what it was. You had to say cage fighting. Now now people know MMA. They didn't. They didn't back then. They didn't cage fighting, as it was called. Um, that that was more of a priority for me. Um, and um, I was back in my hometown, Leicester. It was Leicester Shoot Fighters. Leicester MMA Academy, what's he call it? But it's still Leicester Shoot Fighters. And one of the guys I was training with um, a lot of the time and would train with a lot was um, Andre Winner. Uh, and he he, um, he was on the first uh, Ultimate Fighter UK versus USA. Um, he was on the UK team. And... It was about 2010. Dave Faulkner came along with um, one of his mates who was trained at RWA. Liam Shelton came along to train at RWA. Anyway, within about three seconds of him moving in the ring, I could tell he was a wrestler. And I say a wrestler, I don't mean a pro wrestler. I mean a grappler wrestler. Whether you're talking catch or freestyle, the way he moves, bang, he's a wrestler. So he says, oh, God, what have you done? He's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And he's, you know, I'm on the Ultimate Fighter UK versus... Um, USA, and I was like, "Oh right, yeah." So you know, Dre then, yeah, Dre was Andre Winner. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously we had a, you know, a, a mutual interest and, and, and I suppose practice activity and that link there. So obviously we, we got on very well um, in terms of that, and um, and I think that was probably. And to be honest with you, I'm surprised it took until last year for us to officially team up. We, I, I think it may have, it may have well have nearly happened at Infinite. It's had circumstances been different, um, and again, Dave, in terms of his, you know, his, his work life, he had to be able to afford time to it. Dave does a lot on the doors, so that means 
Friday, Saturday working or used to, that's when all the wrestling shows are in reality. So probably a mixture of that. But yeah, initially it came from the fact that we shared a shared a training partner via via the Europe via the uh, Ultimate Fight USA versus uh, UK. How how long have you been together as as a tag team? Um, it's about eight, eighteen months now. Probably well, they say that um, it's probably more like between a year and eighteen months. So I think from from our point of view, there's a very there's a very natural fit because we both have the legit background and the grappling background and you know an MMA background with a, with a with really a grappling bias. Um, I mean, Dave's got a good stand-up, I've got a decent stand-up, but basically we both prefer to grapple as opposed to strike. So we have a natural connection in terms of that. And just Dave really has done bits and bobs of training over a period of time, but he um, has really taken to it very well and he's learning very quickly. He's, he's a bright guy, as well as having you know the aptitude to be able to, to concentrate, put effort physically. You know, it's a complete natural... And I say he's, he's a he's a he's a bright guy who can learn. He learns quickly. He doesn't need to be told things two or three times. He picks things up. So he's improving. I mean, bloody hell, we all are. Rick Flair after three years' experience said he's still learning. So you can't say you're not still learning. No one can. But obviously, with me having more experience in this particular field, uh, more is expected naturally. But Dave's done very very well. Um, and the, the the team, the connection, and the and the way we interlink um, he's only going to get better but it's, it's very natural and it works very well have you have you won titles as a tag team um, yeah we've, well, we've won the BWP um, titles um, the, PW, the PWI BWP titles we're looking to we're looking to try and get out more in fact we were due to work some new places actually over the last in the coming months but obviously that's not happening so um so the only play, the only titles we're going to win in the next few months is going to be on uh, WWE 2K, whatever they bloody call it, on Xbox. So, but, um, but yeah, we want we want to get out more and uh, and go um, and go to other promotions. And I say we were due to debut with a couple actually over the over the next few months. But hopefully those those debuts will continue. But again, me and me and David got to consider as well. Unfortunately, we're well. I say unfortunately, we're in positions where we have. Um, responsibilities and we're not in a position to be able to wrestle seven days a week I wish we were but we're not um, through family commitments and job commitments but the time that we can put into going and actually wrestling um, we want to make the most of it um, because we think we can do a lot of good Who who would you like to get in there with as a tag team? Oh anyone literally anyone <laughs> I think so far we've um, we've had them who have we had so far God, you're testing me now. I can't remember. We've had, we've had a lot of the young tag teams. Um, we've had some more experienced ones as well. Um, but I think it's... Tag teams Tag teams tend to come and go. I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but they do. I think I've, I've had a couple of tag partners in the past. I started a tag team um, with, my, with, you know, my in real life best mate, Baz. He's, not, he's been out of the wrestling game for a while now. He came back to my manager a bit very talented but just doesn't want to put the time and it's difficult so it's fair enough um, I tagged with Juice I think as well for a bit um, and also Tim Wiley um, who still does a lot in ICW at Infinite as well and the problem is is that unless you're completely on the same page it, it doesn't go 
it, it doesn't work. Simple as that. It does not work. Um, so it's difficult. But well, I mean, I say me and Dave, we live quite close. We've got similar outlooks in terms of life and being able to wrestle where we can um, under the terms that you know that needs to be right for us. But in terms of wrestling, I mean, we've wrestled the Merseyside Massacre Squad. We still called that. Are they allowed to be allowed to say murder anymore? Or <laughs> yeah, say murder. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, whatever, yeah. It's all the same to me. There's always someone you can offend. So if, if we, I suppose in terms of a local reputation, um, we had the lads from Stoke as well, Mark Morgan and Dave Del Vecchio, um, the Drapers. Um, we, had, we had the two lads from uh, FSW, Rick and what's his name? I always forget the bloody tag team name. But they, they were good. Um, they were good. Um, we've had a couple of guys in, in Mr. Katz. Uh, Wrestle like the Paradox, obviously. We've been getting out a bit. We've had a massive feud with them, with uh, with the Wrestle Island. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been it's been it's been a good first year. But again, we're looking to make make inroads this next year and step it up. And yeah, as soon as we get all this crap out of the way with this bloody virus, hopefully we'll be back uh, cranking it up. Just the just the limitations at the moment. I think that's probably the most. That's the thing that's probably pissing people off the most, isn't it? Not able to get in there. Yeah, anything. I'm just, I'm just dying. To, I'm just dying to have uh, within sporting context a fight with someone. To be honest, <laughs> I think a lot, I think a lot of people are feeling like that at the moment. So it's uh, it's yeah. There's only uh, there's only so much lifting you can do before you just want to actually actually compete and throw someone around. But um, but yeah. Sam, you've won many titles in your career, but which one did you like winning the most? Um, to be honest, uh, you know, I, I think. It's good to win titles, but they, obviously they are just props. You know, you talk as a wrestler, they are props. They, 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 can, they can mean a lot in different circumstances, but I think, I, I, I'd say I'd say the first ones are won simply because they're the first. And it's, you know, it's a sign of achievement. It certainly was then, you know. So the, the first ones I won was, was as a tag team with my, I say, my, my, my best mate who I got involved in the industry with. Back, you know, 12, 12 years ago, I think we won in 2007 or 8. Um, and obviously, to get there, it's the first one, isn't it? It's the first one you get. You'd always ask anyone, I'm sure they'll always say, the first one you get when someone says, right, you're going to have these um, because we think you're good enough or we think you, you've put the effort in, you're showing promise, we want you to be this. It always mean, it does mean something. Um, after a while, certainly, you know, unless it, I think it's get to a level where it means earning a lot more money then it becomes it, it becomes less important it, it you know it's a sign of i suppose credibility quality in many ways but at independent level i think it means once you've won a few ask anyone who's won a few it doesn't mean as much it, you know it's it, it's people like having it but the more the more you realize that it's there as a tool more than anything um, and, I, and I won the, my first singles title was the RWB heavyweight title, which I won as a single. So again, that was pleasing that Andy at the time said, "Well, we're going to put this on you and review because we feel that you you deserve this and you're the best person." Um, so I'd say those two, but they're, because they're the first first title to tag team, and then the first one as a single, so they were probably the, uh, the most important. But they're all important. They're all important. Any time a, a promoter says to you going to put this on you you go fair enough thank you um, they're showing you respect they believe in you so anytime some, a, a promoter new or current or old does that you've got to say you know fair enough thank you 
You, you've wrestled a lot of talent, obviously, from, you know, international talent, UK talent. Uh, but which ones were the most challenging to you when you got in the ring with them? Um, it, it depends what you mean by challenging, really. What would you say you mean by challenging? Just different different styles, I guess. How you adapt to different styles, maybe. Yeah, no, I think, um, I think often, I say it depends what you mean by challenging. I think certainly... Um, Obviously, I wrestled Sami Zayn as El Generico, and that was certainly challenging, but I think part of the challenge is, is the not knowing what to expect, and that's more of a mental challenge, because obviously he came over as, as when he was his, probably his last year as El Generico, or certainly his last couple of years, with a huge reputation, a dead nice guy by the way, completely sound, but obviously a, a reputation, so he had the, you know, you know, an aura. And, you know, he was, he was on the verge of... He was an independent international star, really. And then, obviously, very shortly after that, he went on to, to sign with WWE. And he's obviously still there, still there now. Um, you know, fantastic um, professional. But, obviously, his style... The way, he styles, the way his style of wrestling, it looks very flamboyant and complex. In reality, his wrestling style isn't complex. But that's his brilliance as a performer. Because he makes what he's doing look very complex flamboyance and as a, as a as a professional it, it wasn't so I say that was challenging but that was mental and then once I was talking to him going through it you know I became um, more excited but excited about it it became excitement as opposed to um, what's the word I'm looking for worry or anxiety but then you've got to say physical challenges I mean I'm, I'm a very I'm a physical wrestler you know I was a submission wrestler before I was a pro wrestler, so the physicality—that's I, I enjoyed that. I love it. Um, I, I like any sort of physical challenge. I mean, obviously, I've been in there with big guys, cyanide numerous times. Not for a while, actually. Or Crater, as he's now called. Yeah, you know, I get on very well with Alex, but we always like rest because he's obviously—I mean, he's a huge bloke. He's a thirty stone, mighty big And the physical challenge of obviously picking him up and doing things, doing things to him that I could normally do with ease on your average guy or your average wrestler. Um, that was a challenge. But, again, I enjoyed that challenge. Um, so you have these different types of challenges, I think, and you've got to... And they, this is the great thing about what we do. You, you have so many different styles and characters. You've got some wrestlers that are basically just... almost just like stand-up comedians, really. But obviously, <laughs> it's very difficult to get in their head because you're thinking, Christ. Then you've got some guys... They don't do anything like that, but they're absolute animals. You know, they're specimens, physical specimens. They're all different challenges, really, and that, that's one of the reasons why what we do. You don't know these different styles you're going to come next. You know, it's easy. It's very non-vanilla. It's very non-bland. Every every different wrestler is a different flavour. So that, that's why it's good what we do. How how did your time on TNA British Boot Camp come about in 2014? Um, I got a, I got the generic email that everyone else got saying we want you the next day. But no, I um, I, I just literally sent my stuff up like anyone else. Um, I didn't hear back from them late because I think it got, they got sent to a spam. But no, I got I heard from anyone else just turn up here at this time, and I didn't know what to expect until until we got there. So yeah, no, I um, I don't I don't know whether Taz put in a word in for me. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't know. But yeah, so um, I just I applied like everyone else. It is me. Here's what I do, and they went, "Yeah, come along." So, so it was a good experience. 
<laughs> I would say it was an experience. <laughs> um, I, uh, I think they deliberately put people um, on the back four and they deliberately didn't tell you what to expect. And the reason they did that is because they want to have a good television programme. And if they tell you what to expect, you can preempt it. Now, if you don't know what to expect, um, generally not knowing what to expect isn't a good thing for the person who doesn't know what to expect. Um, so they wanted, as part of their TV program, they wanted some people to look stupid and some people to look great. Fair enough. And there were some there were some guys there that were obviously clearly going to get through to the next round and made their mind up, and there were some guys that weren't. Um, I was one of the guys that weren't. However, I think I got eliminated last before the guys who were going through. So in my mind, I was king of the jobbers. And um, and that's probably the best I could have done, to be honest. So I wasn't good to go through. But no, it was an interesting experience. Um, I think it culminated with they got me when they, they were having us doing jump overs, the turnbuckles. And that's not a manoeuvre I ever do. Um, I've done it before. I think if I'd have drilled it the week before, I would have done it. But as soon as you said, right, we're doing this, I absolutely knew I would have clipped the top rope and fall over, and I did. Um, so, so they got their moment where I looked a bit daft, and that's fair enough. Um, but, you know, there we go. It was an experience, no doubt. It was an interesting experience, I would say. An interesting and mixed experience is probably the most accurate way. Who would, who would you like to face off with that you haven't had the chance to? Maybe in a tag capacity or a singles capacity, obviously, because you're tagging with Dave. Maybe tag both. Wise, um, You've got me now. There's, uh, there's, there's some good tag teams coming. Who are those? Um, you've got the guys over at Future Shop that have come through and they're doing well. Um, you've got to wrestle those guys. There's other ones knocking around that are new and coming through. I mean, uh, I think Team Single would be good, but a Team Single, are they going anymore? I'll, I'll lose track. T-Bone and uh, Rampage, are they going anymore? T-Bone's on. He's on. I see him on the next TUK a bit. He's... Yeah, I don't... yeah, no, he's still there, I think. Yeah, they're yeah. probably not, to be fair. No, yeah. I don't... They, they would have, that would have been a good one. Um, I think facing the hooligans, that would be a good one. But again, this is the thing. You've you always got to consider this in on the independent British scene, is that when people live four or 500 miles away from each other, it reduces the chance that they're going to wrestle each other. Um, and they obviously are over in Norwich. I mean, they were over in Liverpool. Right? That would be a good one. But yeah, so there's... there's I, we will, listen, we, we'll wrestle anyone. Fat, thin, short, tall, we don't care. Um, I think we can have a good match with any. So, yeah, get, you know, get it booked. Um, I think the, the the Billingtons as well, that'd be a good one. Um, the Billingtons would certainly like to, to wrestle them. Um, they're good guys up and coming. I mean, I think I used, you know, I'll happily admit that he used to idolise um, their good uncle. He's, he's the uncle, isn't he? Yeah, the uncle. Um, the Dynamite Kid. Um who's certainly in my mind he's he's one of the if not the best wrestler that's really been produced certainly for someone of my stature um, he's, he's the blueprint you know in many ways um, so the Billingtons yeah so there's um, yeah there's other teams out there as well but certainly I said the two young lads from Future Shock that'd be good maybe certainly the Billingtons the Hooligans but there's others as well I just you know I can't remember I'm getting old I'm getting old good, good variety there Sam to be fair Speaking of getting old and forgetting everything, the Myers, I'll love the Myers. Good old Keith, Keith and Ryan, love them too. Yeah, <laughs> plenty, plenty of opponents there for you in the future. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's, um, yeah, there's, there's loads of you know good people coming up. There's loads of uh, 
young rookies that are looking to get out there as well. And there's loads of uh, there's loads of ones like good old Keith, who's uh, when, when he's got time in between his ten holidays a year um, to have a few wrestling matches, he'll be up for it as well. Do you manage to watch any of the current product in like WWE, AEW? Do you manage to watch any of that? I, I do. I do see it. I think you get a lot of the AEW clips going around. And people obviously have strong opinions on that, different ways. I, I have a bit of a balance with it, I suppose. I'm more... I say someone who's, I suppose, at the stage in my career where I'm more thinking about young wrestlers coming up and, and, and doing well as opposed to me. And I try and mentor a lot of our lads at BWP as well and help them. I think it's good that there's two places to go and get decent paid work. So I'm glad there's two companies. Well, I suppose you've got TNA as well, but, you know, AEW and WWE going at it can only be good for the wrestlers. It gets more work and competition drives wages up. So I don't watch it as much as I can do. I think I've... I don't watch as much wrestling as I used to, full stop. Certainly when I was a, when I say I was an out-and-out fan prior to 2006, and then I suppose becoming a student of, of, our, of our art, I watch it less now. But if I do, I, I prefer, I suppose, the old sort of attitude stuff. Because you look at it, you, you hear it, and you go, my God, how the fuck did they get away with that? And you never see that anymore. So that's probably what I do. Do watch more, but I suppose if I'm watching it as a fan, as a fan, I prefer the old, the, the classic style, if you like, and then the attitude side. Purely as a fan, that's now that's not in any way, shape, or form disrespect. That's me watching it from as a fan, not a not a profession. And that's my channel, and um, and that goes for a lot of the, the Japanese stuff as well. Going back to days when it was uh, well, the Bulldogs were known as the Bulldogs. It was David Boy and Dynamite, and you know, Keys and Vaders and Stan Hansen's. That's probably the. If I was a fan, that's the sort of wrestling that I would stick on and watch. I was, uh, funnily enough, I was watching, I think it was Halloween Havoc 1993 the other day, and it was Vader versus Cactus. Hell of a match. Yeah, 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 yeah. Vader knocks the shit out of him, doesn't he? <laughs> it's, when he it's when he fell on top of him on the, on the runway thing, and I remember watching Foley in a DVD saying about how bad that was, but. He, he was crazy, the amount of pain he took. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's a, he's a very clever man as well. He, he, he earned a lot of money in a relatively short space of time. I think Foley is he's, he's underestimated. He looks like an out of shape, scruffy, for you know what. I think he's a very, he, was, he is and was a very intelligent man. I think he knew exactly what he's doing. He was going to get in, get out. Uh, you know, by all accounts, reading his book, he did well financially. And... I mean, in effect, he was what? He was retired by 2001. In effect, wasn't he really from, from taking anything? And it got in, got out, did very well. It, you know, unbelievable. The Hell in a Cell, obviously, is the one that everyone remembers. And fair play, you know, he did very, very well. And, he, and you know, and he is, he's a legend, isn't he? You can't not like him. I think sometimes, I think sometimes, though, his intelligence gets underestimated in terms of what the choices he made in his career. They weren't, they weren't an accident. In my opinion, I think they were intelligent, smart choices, and he he, he got he got the fruit from it. You know, he harvested the um, the crops of being you know smart. The decisions he made. I'm just going back to a match of his um, when he when he fought Michaels in '96. I think it was uh, Mind Games, the card, and uh, yes. The way Michaels was much more aggressive in that match. I always, I always uh, used to go to that match when I was younger. 
because he, he allowed Michaels to be aggressive against him. I I found. Yes. Yeah. No. Um, well, I'm, as it as it as where stands with the lockdown, I've uh, I've decided to a mixture of DVDs, mates DVDs, and, and the network to go through all the pay per views from about ninety onwards, six onwards. Um, so I'll be getting to get into the mid nineties soon. It'll be interesting to watch matches like Michaels versus Foley, just as Michaels was, I think he, he probably had just won the title by then. And Foley was obviously coming in, trying to make an impression, doing so. Because he talks about that match in his book, wasn't he, I think, I remember. The, the first, was it in the first book? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. I, I read them when they came out, so that would have been, what, 2001, 2, 2 3 yeah. And I'm sure we just talk about it, yeah, because I think he said he would like to have another match with him. He felt that was one of his better matches that no one talks about, if, if, if I remember rightly, anyway, from his, from his book. Were you a fan of Bret Hart when you were younger? Yes and no. As, as a fan, um, he never stood out for me. I mean, you can't, I mean, as a, as a professional, how can you knock him? I mean, you know, he's, he's one of the, the greatest pros ever. As a fan, he didn't excite me personally, but obviously he's very, very popular. I, I think, to be honest, it was that pit, I, as a fan, going into my early teens, that sort of mid-90s period was when I kind of, only only really watching WWF, I got a bit bored of it. It was really when, I didn't I never manage to get to watch WCW. Obviously, there's no internet, it was just television um, or magazines. Um, so you depended on the local news agent selling best in those. But it was really when Stone Cold and DX were kicking in. That I'd, as a teenager, get back from the pub after a load of beers, and all of a sudden you've got wrestlers giving each other the finger, swearing and doing all sorts. And you go, right now, now I'm now I'm interested. Now you've got my attention. I want to watch this again. Now. Yeah. Um, so I think, like a lot of people who watched you when you were kids, got bored. The attitude came in, and you were like, wow, yeah. Now this is a this is a this is a TV show which is appealing to, you know, not me when I'm eight, me when I'm seventeen. Um, so yeah, so uh, I mean, I, you can't knock him as a professional. He, he's, you know, the excellence of execution. Um, he, you know, his, his moniker, in many ways described. You know, he, he was he was so good. But as a fan, he, I, I wasn't. I wasn't. He wasn't one of my favourites uh, as as a young. Fan. I think he. I think he found himself when they when they turned him heel. I think the promo the promos improved. From him, but obviously it was cut short, wasn't it, with the, him going to WCW? But yeah, I just wanted to know your thoughts on him. That was all. He's, uh... Yeah, I mean, look, no, I mean, it's one of those. I think because uh, as you can, you have to put the fan or fan or professional head on. Anyone that's a professional, you still back and go, who do you like out of these wrestlers? Who don't you like? Then obviously you learn how to wrestle. You start getting you paid. You work your way around. You get experience, and then you go, well, okay, I didn't like him when I was set. But I've watched him now. I'm 25, and as as someone who's got experience, you go, yeah, he's brilliant. So he, you can have different perspectives, but that's kind of the point, isn't it? That's why there's so many different wrestlers. He's a different people, like different people. Yeah. And putting aside the face heel dynamic, someone will go, you know, the kids, whatever it was these days or five years ago, some one kid will prefer John Cena, one kid will prefer Rey Mysterio, one kid will go and get a Rey Mysterio mask. One kid will go and get a John Cena cap. So yeah, that's why we have different types and styles, because everyone likes different people. A marketer's dream. <laughs> yeah, 
for me please for the listeners yeah certainly right my twitter handle is god let me remember what it is now let me go on here it is uh, at sam bfp so get on it cool um, i don't do too much controversial on twitter um i keep it strictly to uh to wrestling football and a few bits and bobs um and if you back on on facebook you can find me putting the baby face people that should be enough brilliant Thank you very much, Sam Smith and Downs, a.k.a. the Babyface Pitbull, for coming on to Stu's Wrestling Podcast today. It's been a pleasure having you on, mate. No worries. Cheers, Stu. Big thank you to 3210 for their track, Sona, in the intro and the outro for today's show. Cheers, boys, for letting me use it. Big thank you to Mike Angus for the show intro, as always. Superb, superb. Chris Dutton, thank you very much for editing once again. Appreciate it, buddy. And also to Lee, who does my website. Lee puts the stuff up on the website. Without you guys, I'd be screwed. So once again, as always, appreciate everything you do for me and the time you spend doing the things you do for me. It means a lot, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.